Good morning. It is the Monday after. Welcome to the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. I'm Gray Robertson. That is Tara Henry. Tara, I am holding a bracket. Do you see it? There is a bracket in my hand. We have the field of 64. Yeah, we we do. We sure do have that field of 64. And boy, I can't wait to chat with you about it because, you know, I just, the one word I would describe it, and I described it last night, is wild, but can't wait to dive into it with you and bring on some pretty cool guests because uh, I think today's a pretty special day and we should celebrate uh, the 64 teams that have been entered into the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. We've got a just cavalcade of celebrities joining us. We've got T.R.E. Jennings from Oklahoma. We've got Utah head coach Amy Hogue. We've got Kevin Brown from ESPN. We've got Marissa Young from Duke. We've got Jordan Rudd from Northwestern. We've got Monica Abbott. Ever heard of her? She will be on the show. It's going to be phenomenal. We will have our thoughts, of course, on the bracket, Tara. I think the picture that has my reaction on it has circulated through our group texts and a couple times on Twitter. Uh, so it, it's it's going to be quite the day, and we have so much to, to dive into. Yeah, I mean, we are going to get into uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide getting that number five seed, and I know you'll have some insight there because uh, – I would argue that's probably the most shocking uh, part of the bracket, but uh, we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. I just, uh, gosh, I, in terms of the bracket, there's so many incredible regional matchups throughout the country. And as much as, as much flack as we're giving this election committee, I do think we're going to have quite a, a regionals this weekend with some really fun games to watch uh, just in the first weekend. Real quick, before we bring on our first guest, Tara, which regional, as soon as we had the full bracket, jumped out to you the most? Well, my initial gut reaction was Florida State, the number three seed, getting Adani Goborn, uh, South Carolina going to uh, Tallahassee. Uh, you know, we saw last year when Mississippi State upset uh, Florida State. So I think my initial gut reaction just in the beginning after we saw the one, the two, OU and UCLA, seeing South Carolina go to that Tallahassee regional was just an, an initial kind of gut check for me. How Absolutely. about you, Greg? Uh, totally. South Carolina, I had fully expected them to go to Duke. Uh, to see them go to Florida State is really interesting. Donnie Goborn is going to be quite the matchup for the Knowles. And don't forget about UCF with Sarah Willis, the American Athletic Conference Pitcher of the Year. For me, Everything about 16, Clemson being the 16, Auburn going to Clemson, Fullerton going to Clemson as well. Uh, really, I think super tight, super interesting. It, I don't know who I'm picking yet out of that regional. I'll just say that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Gray. And in terms of Auburn at, at Clemson, I do think that Auburn could get out of that regional. I think, you know, Amadi Penta leading the, the Tigers – uh, could take down the other set of Tigers uh, in the in Clemson. But I was able to watch Fullerton this last weekend, and I was just shocked as you that they uh, were announced in that last 16 seed because they had just dropped three to, to Long Beach uh, State here, uh, to Long Beach State. Congratulations to them winning the Big West uh, out here uh, on the West Coast. But again, yeah, that number 16, got my eye on it, and, and they'll be heading uh, to play the number one seed. Uh, and hopefully we can, we can have some insight from uh, a guest who's on that number one. Uh, seed squad absolutely i think it's time to get into the leadoff what do you say tara sounds good
And our first guest is the All-American from the Oklahoma Sooners, Tiari Jennings. Tiari, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you guys? We're fantastic. And obviously, congratulations are in order. Number one overall seed, Big 12 tournament champions, Big 12 regular season champions. But man, I mean, it's got to continue to feel good to see your name up at the top. What was the reaction in the room once Oklahoma was back as the number one overall seed once again? Yeah, we were super excited. Um, felt the good energy um, just hanging out at Coach Gasso's house. But being around the team, um, super fun energy. We're super excited to get after it and all our hard work. And, um, you know, the grind is starting to pay off here in the postseason. So we're super excited. And Tiari, you know, it's tough to be on top uh, and it's tough to stay on top. And as a part of a team uh, that has only suffered one loss this season. And, you know, some people are saying, oh, the offense isn't like last year or, you know, uh, they're not hitting as many home runs. What's the mentality been like uh, to be a part of the Sooners this season uh, in 2023? Um, it's been a super fun team um, using all the newcomers and transfers that are in embracing um, all of them has been super fun to watch. Um, one thing about this team is just we're not afraid to lose, and I think that's what makes us play so free and so fun, um, that we're just going out there, having our pitchers back. Um, even if our offense is not doing as good as we want to be, we're, we know that we're grinding, we're being competitive, that we're just out there being competing. And um, so it's been a fun season and super fun with these girls, and you can just see how much passion we share and the love for the game. Um, that just keeps us playing um, so free. It's also a season where your team was challenged a lot, especially in the non-conference. And we saw with the seedings that the committee put out, the emphasis on top 10 wins. Your team has beaten eight of the top 10 in the RPI. What do you feel like the non-conference has done to prepare you to make this run in the NCAA tournament that you're going to try and do again? Yeah, it's definitely prepared us in a really good way. I mean, um, we got a chance to see some of those teams coming in a postseason, which is good. Um, early on, it just shows that how much work we've put in. Um, it also goes to show how much work we put in our offseason, preparing for those top 10 matchups early on in the preseason. So um, just our offseason work, our preseason work, our non-conference work just shows how much we've been working kind of all season long. Um, so just coming in, putting in that postseason is just going to be good for us to see where we're at. And Tiari, Give us an idea of what your week looks like this week. What's the practice schedule? Uh, you've done this before. What does it look like uh, for the Sooners heading into regional play starting on Friday? Yeah, it's kind of more just, you know, film preparation, um, getting in our lift still in the mornings, um, working on practice. Now that we have no school, it's just starting to focus more on softball, um, relaxing during the day, getting as much rest as we can coming into the, this postseason. That's going to be a huge part of it. Um, but just being as prepared as we can for the entire weekend. And in terms of preparation for the regional, obviously you've got a team coming in in Hofstra that you'll open up with, and you've got Missouri from the Southeastern Conference, Cal from the Pac-12. How does that work out for the team? Do you, do you try and go ahead and put a focus on each team individually, or do you just take it one game at a time? How does, how does everybody get ready for this regional action? Um, for us, it's more just getting a general look at everybody, seeing who we can play, and then as then taking it just one game at a time. Um, it's a regional, so it's postseason now, so anything can happen. So you can't take any team lightly. Um, everyone deserves to be here, um, and they've worked so hard for the postseason. So just focusing on the day at a time, a game at a time, and just taking it one weekend as a at a time. And it looks like we've got a question from YouTube, so I'm going to put this up here for you, Tiari. 
So uh, question for Tiari, <laughs> what's your favorite food? My favorite food would probably have to be Italian and specifically that fettuccine Alfredo with chicken. That's my favorite. <laughs> and your That's favorite a- restaurant that has fettuccine Alfredo? I would say probably Cheesecake Factory right now. I love it. <laughs> That's already one of the best questions we've ever gotten in the comments. So good job, everybody. As long as when food comes up, I am thrilled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Um, Tiari, what what would you say, you know, is your pregame routine? I mean, you know, fettuccine Alfredo aside, what, what do you like to do to get yourself in the right mindset ahead of games, not just in the regular season, but certainly the postseason? Um, I would say just start off with some good vibes, listening to some good music on the way to the field, um, have an energy drink with me, uh, maybe a Starbucks refresher, but just coming in, I just like to come in with a good energy and my, and my, also my energy, my caffeine as well, but just coming into the locker room and hyping it up with the girls before the game. What music are you listening to? Who's on the playlist? Uh, Riley Boone is our DJ. She's our hype girl. She has it all. She has some, we got some rap in there. I got some metal. We got some Christian worship. We got it all. Anything you want. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, Tiari, we know that you've got loads to do this week, although you don't have school, so that's nice. Uh, maybe you yeah. can get some rest. Uh, but want to thank you so much for joining us today. Best of luck heading into regionals. Uh, have a blast. Enjoy it. And thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Tiari. That is the All-American from Oklahoma. Tiari Jennings and obviously Tara, the Sooners will be the favorites to win the national championship this year, uh, trying to go for the three-peat. And it's interesting, you know, their regional, there are a couple tricky things. We've seen Cal run rule UCLA this year. Missouri always has the potential and they certainly have the experience in the circle. But uh, I mean, the Sooners are as good as ever. Oh, absolutely. Obviously the favorite in the tournament. But in terms of Mizzou and Cal, a tough, you know, not two tough squads heading out to Norman and, you know, was able to watch Cal over here on the West Coast. And we saw Missouri as of late uh, start to come on strong. So won't be a cakewalk uh, for the Sooners, but uh, would, we'll, I'm sure we're going to see them uh, heading into Supers uh, in that following weekend. Absolutely. And let's keep rolling right along to a, to one of the best stories, I think, from the weekend. Everybody was tuning in Saturday night to the Pac-12 Tournament Championship game. And let's bring in our next guest, the head coach of the Utah Utes, Amy Hogue. Uh, coach, welcome to the show. Congratulations on the Pac-12 Tournament title, the first ever Pac-12 Tournament champion. How are you? Thanks. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, the weekend was fantastic. It was everything this group dreamed of, even though, like you said, it was kind of a, a shocker to everyone else. Um, the group I've been hanging out with all year planned on it all along. And coach, we you know we talked in the offseason in the fall. We, we spoke about this squad. We spoke about not making the tournament and how hungry they came back Uh just in the fall and their preparation. Can you speak a little bit more about that and, and what the difference you saw in this team this year from uh, the previous season? Yeah, we talked about um, this day last year being so impactful for my team um, on the opposite end of what we wanted, right? Didn't get our name called, felt it in our gut. We had 
um, met together because I thought it was important, win or lose. That's the people I want to be with, in or out. You want to go through those emotions with people that are feeling it the same as you, right alongside you. So we had the get together. We didn't get in. And you could just see um, how hard it hit him. And you could see the that flip that of the switch that just said, we're going to have to do things differently if we want this day to feel different. So from that day forward, they made choices that put them in position to flip the script and be here where they are right now. So, you know, leading into the summer, it's up to them, right? They have to do all the work in the summer. The coaches can't hound them, make them keep them accountable. They kept each other accountable and came back in the fall better prepared than they ever had. And then uh, DJ and Paige came to me and said, listen, we're going to do this physical challenge. They're more ready for it ever. They're hungry. We've got to push them to a place that they don't think they can go, but we know they can and kind of copied some of the things that they did at Oklahoma and and made it our own and uh they called it 1176 1176 is a number that uh that's the miles from salt lake city our stadium to the hall of fame stadium so uh that was all dj and Paige. i mean i thought they were nuts actually as a matter of fact at first i thought this is dangerous do we have doctors here but but what it was was just a compiled um uh, one hour long for a lot of them, uh, physical challenge that they were prepared to do. It wasn't stuff that they hadn't done every day in training, but it was all sandwiched in one day. It was don't stop. We're doing all these things. And uh, they were stressed out about it, but they prepared for it. And once they did it, this bond that they have now over doing that challenge together has um, worked wonders. So I'm thankful for the assistant coaches that I have and the the uh the team to buy in and yeah from that point forward they weren't afraid of hard they knew that they had done that hard stuff together and it just we've they've drawn along on that a lot moving forward whenever it got hard and there's been a lot of hard lately for us the the lineup of games we have to play is grueling and they just said we're good at hard we got this I love that. Not afraid of hard. And I think that was really on display in that championship game against UCLA. You talked about how your team has kind of flipped the script from last year, but certainly since the UCLA series from getting swept at home to, to winning that championship game against the Bruins, what do you think was the difference in that short amount of time between matchups with the Bruins? Yeah, I I think the difference is when they beat us before, Um, we took the good from it. We tried to figure out which at bats were strong, what pitches we threw were strong, um, and flush the rest. I mean, our game will haunt you if you're always looking at what you did poorly. And this team isn't willing to do that very much. They don't want to change their mind on what they believe about themselves. Even if someone beats them, or even if they have a poor at bat, they are so good at being resilient and saying, Um, I'm actually really good and she beat me that time, but I'm going to beat her the next time. So their willingness to not change their mind about what they can do, what they have done well, and uh, is, is why they went out and believed that it it was our turn to beat them. So that's a hard thing to do. I made it sound easy right now, but it's not easy. And this team (laughs) that I have does it day in and day out. They don't care 
if anyone else believes in them. They don't care if they have three poor at-bats and they're coming up with the game on the line. They don't change their minds about how good they are and, and how good their teammate is. They believe in each other just as big. And that Pac-12 championship game, it was it was incredible to watch. It was it was it felt big. It was on ESPN too, and you know I just want to get an update on uh, Julia and Sophie. Are those two? Uh, how are those two doing? I, I know uh, in the middle of that game, those two went down. Um, but is there any update on on how they're doing and if we're going to see them out on the field this week? Yeah, I'm waiting to find out myself. Both of them are seeing the doctor today. I think one already did, and we're um, we're hoping so. I mean, they're both tough, so. Uh, and they got beat up good. Like Juju's face, she looks like she lost a fight. And uh, but yesterday at the selection show party, she was her same self. Like she just had a, you know, half of her face just didn't look normal. But her mood was the same. She's our, she's our leader as far as fun and and enthusiasm. And uh, she does the music, like Tiari was saying on her thing. There's always that person in charge of the music. So. It's like, who's going to play the music? Juju's not on the bus. So <laughs> celebrating without her was so hard to have that win on the field. And she makes all tournament team and she isn't there. So we just carried her around a phone and had uh, her on FaceTime everywhere we went. But yeah, she, she got to fly home with us. We weren't even sure that was going to happen, but she got cleared by the docs to get on the plane with us home. And, and uh, you know, the swelling's uh, still there. So uh, we're, we're hoping to find out good news. I know if they're cleared to play, they'll, they'll push through even if it hurts. Coach, uh, you've got a fan in the chat. Let me pop this up from Brennan Hogue. Let's go mom. Yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> that's fun. He's awesome. He was on the election show yesterday, Mother's Day. I, ha- I had two out of the three kids of mine. Uh, so yeah, there's nothing better when you have I call them my children. I have three children, but I have 20, 23 kids. I call my team my kids. So that's a great Mother's Day right there. I, I got one that's uh, in Ohio doing a job for the summer. So he's already left. But um, my daughter, Tessa, and my son, Brennan, were at this election show. So I was a happy mom yesterday with 23 kids and, and two children. <laughs> I love that. Well, hey, last thing for me, Coach. Uh, let's talk about your regional. Uh, the committee has given you three really tough teams, Southern Illinois from the Missouri Valley. You've got Ole Miss, a team that Tara and I have both seen in person who's really scrappy, and then a Baylor squad who's won road games at Tennessee and is the only team to beat Oklahoma this year. What are your expectations this weekend with such a difficult uh, three teams coming to your house? Yeah, I mean, it's that time of the year, right? Everybody's going to be difficult, so – uh, we welcome that, you know, I'm just glad to be home so we can be in front of our fans. And I, I heard the seats were sold out. I, I think there's some general admission tickets left, but by the time it was like eight or nine o'clock last night, there wasn't a reserve seat available. It was nuts. So I think general admission is what's left. And I hope we pack the berm. You know, we have a grass outfield area. I hope there's not a spot for a butt that over there in the grass. Um, but as far as our opponents, I mean, we, we've been through a grind. We had Oregon at their place and uh, Cal, Washington, UCLA this last weekend. I mean, it's what we do. So back to work, we'll pull up 
all the studying the charts and learn as much as we can about these teams before Friday comes and, and be ready to play all of them and, and know that there isn't one batter we can take a turn off uh, one pitcher that isn't going to be tough. So we'll do our studying and we'll be ready. Well, Coach, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, congratulations on the first ever Pac-12 championship. Uh, incredible to watch. Uh, best of luck this weekend, uh, and thanks for coming on. Thanks. I appreciate you, too. Thanks. Thank you, Coach. Go Utes. And that is Utah Head Coach awesome. Amy Hogue joining us here on the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. We are just getting started, Tara. We've got Kevin Brown from ESPN hopping on with us in just a moment. We've got Marissa Young from Duke in just a bit joining the show. We've got Jordan Rudd. We've got Monica Abbott. There are so many things to discuss. Uh, what what I love most about what Coach Hogue said was just the mentality. And I think we certainly saw that in the Pac-12 championship. This is a Utah team that is scrappy, that does a lot of the little things right. And when you do the little things right, you reach the big results that you're looking for. And I think we saw that this past weekend. Yeah, they do the little things right, and, and you can't say enough about Mariah Lopez, and, and obviously that lefty-lefty matchup against a, a heavy lefty UCLA lineup. Uh, she just did an incredible job uh, against them in that championship game, but you know, I love it. There's there's a grit about this squad. I love that they did that challenge in the offseason uh, when you have DJ and you have a Paige Parker that come from that OU winning tradition. I think you see sprinkles of that. And what I love about Coach Hogue is like she's she's accepting. And I think our sport needs more of that, like of, of coaches that are willing to bring on the new and learn and continue to learn. And I just think that's why she's so successful. I love chatting with her. Uh, it, it's, it's never boring and uh, could do it all the time, but best of luck to the Utes uh, heading uh, into the postseason. and excited. They have that, that number 15 seat. Absolutely. I mean, we, we were texting, the night before the Pac-12 championship, and I said, I, I think if Utah wins this game, they're going to be a seed. I had them at the 16, and we can maybe talk about <laughs> all of the bracketing things in just a bit, but I was thrilled to see them get the 15. Uh, bummed that the one conference super matchup that we got, if the seeds hold, is UCLA and Utah, because we've already seen that four times this year. But, I mean, we've already seen the Utes win. So who's to say they can't come out of that? I think it's a really, really fascinating little path for the Utes to maybe get to OKC. Oh, absolutely. And again, I think that win was huge, Gray. And we talked about it in watching the champ game. And if Utah did take home that first of a Pac-12 title, were they going to get a seed? And I agree with you. I thought they were going to go 16. Uh, I was surprised to see him at the 15, but it was either going to be playing Oklahoma or UCLA. So it's almost like pick your poison there, but. Uh, it does it does set us up for uh, a potential rematch. And I do feel like we'll talk about this. I do feel like the committee, the selection committee was a little into the drama this year, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Well, maybe we can get into it now with our friend Kevin Brown from ESPN. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. How are you? It's great to be here. Happy day after Selection Sunday. Yeah, it. Uh, then, I mean, we saw it all unfold last night. We certainly yeah. had some takes. Uh, what was your immediate reaction as you saw the bracket <clears throat> reveal? Uh, my immediate reaction is archived in my texts to Tara because 
Normally, I would be mass texting my broadcast partner, Amanda Scarborough. She was on air, so she couldn't respond. So Tara had to bear the brunt of um, all of my in-the-moment opinions. Sorry about that, T. <laughs> um, I, I, will, I will say this in all sincerity. <clears throat> I, I have thoughts, but I feel I should present a reasonable and respectful caveat first. And the caveat is this. I have never been on a selection committee. I never will be. It is an extraordinarily difficult job. You have to, in any sport, pick some number of teams, 64 here, seed some number of teams. And there is not one magic number, right? You, you can't just seed the teams by RPI. You can't just seed the teams by strength of schedule. You can't just seed the teams by top whatever wins. So there are a million little things and details and eye test. And I think if you gave me a bracket, Gray a bracket, Tara a bracket, anybody a bracket, we'd all come up with different brackets. Caveat complete. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, and really, I like... I, I do I do appreciate, you know, Kelly Gatwood's interview and was transparent about this. And I think a lot of people, the, the takeaway with everybody in, in my softball circle is, is, wow, how is Alabama number five? And it's honestly at a point where I kind of feel bad for Alabama now because, you know, they didn't ask for this. They've had a good season. <laughs> Have they had a number five in the country season? I don't think so. But they've had a good season. It's a great program. Love Patrick Murphy. I just, um, it was, it was unusual and it's just unusual to me that, and again, I, I have a lot of respect for Kelly and, and the tournament here committee, but it seemed like top 10 wins mattered for some selection of the bracket. And then it didn't for others. Like it mattered more for the top eight teams, but it didn't after that. And all of this is just kind of random. Why is it top 10 wins? Why isn't it top eight wins? If we care about the top eight seeds, why isn't it wins against the top 16, the top 25, the top 47, like we can, the top 64, you know, I, I look at Stanford and I see Stanford has the number two non-conference RPI and the number five non-conference straight the schedule. And I don't understand why Stanford is nine. And I guess it's their nine because they don't have the top 10 wins of other team, but they have lots of top 25 wins. So I just, I understand that this is a tough thing, but the inconsistency with where it felt like top 10 wins were applied and then where they weren't um, is what surprised me. Yeah. I couldn't That was a long answer. More. It's a complicated <laughs> deal. I know, but I just, uh, the consistency is the issue. And I think that is my biggest issue with the entire thing. It, you're right. Certain wins were weighted for certain teams and then they weren't for others across the entire bracket. So I, I was talking to Amanda Scarborough about it. It's equating like you're studying for a test. Here are the things that are going to be on the test. Here are the things that you think are going to be on the test. And then 
none of those things are on the test or some of those things are on the test. Some of you are graded on a scale. Some of you are not grading on a scale. Exactly. So we don't even know the test and we don't even know the scale because it's not consistent. Um, but we can talk years, about this forever. Yeah. I mean, I think some years losses matter and some years losses don't. Right. Um, and it just feels to me like, and again, I, I hate to pick on Alabama, but because they're the team that was discussed so heavily and they went 40 and 18, and it feels like if they went 40 and 12, they probably still would have had the five seed, right? Because the committee would have mm-hmm. given the the top 10 wins uh, bonus to them. And they won those games. That's great. But at what point do you have to consider losses and consider Stanford losing only 13 or Duke losing 10, Northwestern losing 11? I know there's a million things that go into it. I know that. But um, again, I look at Northwestern, which has the number two non-conference strength of schedule and just doesn't play in as good of a league. So they kind of get screwed with the top 10 wins because they're in the Big Ten. How much should that hurt them? It's very nuanced. And I'm sure that in the committee room, five through about maybe uh, 13 was probably as tight as five through 13 has ever been. I think one through four is pretty clear. And then I think the last few teams are pretty clear. And I, I understand that it's close. It just feels like with every separation, there's some random bit of data that made its way in. I, I think as we continue to discuss it, the team that keeps coming to my mind is Baylor. And I think that that's the one that people are confused about because they had the top 10 wins. They also had the bad losses, but we saw bad losses ignored for a lot of teams and not so for Baylor, it, it appears. And if we're looking at the criteria that seem to be used for the most of the seeding teams, like we've talked about, Baylor, I feel like, has the biggest gripe for being left out of the top 16. Yeah, and 14 and 9 against the top 50. But you're right, they, they had seven losses, it looks like, in that 51 to 100 tier. And for some people, the wins matter. For some people, the losses matter. Again, it is hard, and I get that. And yeah, I have less of a problem with a team like Oklahoma State at number six, even though I've seen Oklahoma State Recently, I had them at Texas and they got swept. And, and look, they have not been playing well at all. But I, the body of work does have to matter. And, and I respect that. Um, it just does feel like consistency is the word I keep coming back to. Um, and every year, I think every selection committee is a little bit different too, right? So you don't know who the human beings are and what those human beings value year over year. Yeah, I would argue that maybe we should have terms for the selection committee that you should maybe have a four-year term because then at least you know what you're getting, right? Like you will stay consistent over time because as it switches year in, year in, year out, you just don't know. I mean, it's tough to be a head coach. It's tough to not only to win, but then to schedule and try and understand what it takes for your your team to be in the best possible zip position to win a national championship. It's just bonkers to me. Like at the end of the day, it's just wild that, that we're sitting here in this point, but Kevin, I want to get back to this. Where do you think is the toughest regional in taking a look at this, the top 16 uh, seeds, where do you think is the toughest? Uh, the first one that, that jumps out to me, and I know you just had Coach Hogan, I think that Utah Regional could be a bear because of Baylor. Um, sorry, bear pun not intended. but <laughs> Well done. <laughs> yeah, I, it was not intentional. I realized it as I was saying it. Um, Baylor is certainly a, a team that can beat anybody and has beaten 
the number one team. Utah, especially at elevation, I think there's a little home field advantage for teams that aren't used to it. And I saw Ole Miss in the SEC tournament, and Ole Miss, um, Ole Miss is is playing well down the stretch here and can defend and has a pretty deep staff. I wouldn't be shocked if any of those three teams came out. The other one that jumps out, and I don't know that this is the most balanced regional, but having just seen Donnie Goborn destroy the rest of the SEC, that is a tough, tough ask for Florida State. And it's a Florida State team I love, but that is a tough ask, and UCF is no pushover either. So I think for a three seed, that's a really competitive regional. I'm really fascinated, I think, Kevin, uh, by Clemson as well. Not just getting in, but the fact that they've got to play an Auburn team that we've both seen in person this year. Uh, it should be, I think, a couple really good matchups between Tigers. And, and again, Auburn having to go back to Clemson a year after they did that in regionals again. Yeah, Cagle versus Penta is headline material stuff. And cross-country trips are tough this time of year, but Fullerton played well early in the season, too. That's an intriguing regional. Um, I was glad Clemson got a seed. I know they didn't have a very challenging non-conference street schedule, but again, felt like a top 16 team, 46 and nine record, have maybe the player of the year in the sport. I hope we get at least one Kegel versus Penta. I suspect we will. And if we got two, that would be an absolute thrill. But I like Auburn. Um, I like their lineups mix of power and speed. I like how, their youthful energy really comes through. They were down six to two to Ole Miss the other day in the SEC tournament. We had them and it was like no big thing. They took great at bats. Their lineups deep. They had a couple of good players off the bench. They can bring in pinch runners, defensive replacements off the bench. And Maddie Penta wasn't great in the SEC tournament. That's the only thing she, she has to be great because it is not a terribly deep staff with Shelby Lowe a little bit down this year. And, and Annabelle Weidra is a good player, but Penta is the kind of player that can pitch them into supers for sure. And Kevin, we know that you've got a busy schedule, but we're going to, I'm going to leave you uh, with this. Do you know where you're going to be this weekend? Number one. Uh, I am. I am. I'm going to be nowhere this weekend. Actually. I'm not on regionals. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm on supers. I'm on supers. I do. I see see supers. You do know World Series. I will be in um, Toronto this weekend for the Orioles and Blue Jays. Uh, so you're doing supers? I'm doing supers. And the Women's College World Series. Yes. We're running it back. Well, <laughs> I, I just You're three, Kevin, Brown and Scarborough. I just hope, Kevin, wherever you are, there are no weather delays. No more lightning. No more anything like that. Because I know how exhausting this weekend yeah, was right. for you and Amanda. <laughs> Yeah, four-hour, 11-minute. If you ever have a four-hour, 11-minute lightning delay, um, the ways to kill time are to sing Disney tunes with uh, Courtney Lionel Holly Rowe and to play Heads Up with Jess Mendoza's phone and um, to have uh, a birthday celebration for Madis Scarborough with cupcakes and balloons. (laughs) Somebody's already commenting, Kevin... That birthday cake you gave Amanda was perfect, LOL. How do they know? <laughs> was there a picture of it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait a minute. The one on the air when I stuck the pen in the York peppermint patty. <laughs> yeah. That's, I forgot uh, we did that. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, oh, Kevin, I mean, we could have you. I mean, I think like we should have Kevin on every week if he's available. Uh, the, the, I'm, re- I'm ready. Listen, back. I'm ready to get my picks. I'm ready to go. You know, I got my bracket filled out already. Great. You make sure you yeah. get on over to D1 Softball and fill out your bracket challenge. You know, we've got I'm going to. What can I win? Okay. $1,000. That's it. Yeah, here's the uh, there's the prizes right there. there you go. We have a graphic for it. Oh, Evo Shield! <laughs> I'll take an Evo Shield gift card. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> oh man! Oh boy! Oh uh, boy! Always good to see you, Kevin. Uh, thanks for hopping on with us. I will uh, hopefully see you guys the World Series. Maybe I'll see you at the Alabama Supers. Who knows, Gray? We'll, we'll go back to Chuck's against, and throw it back. Alabama against. Uh, Eastern Illinois, you never know. It's mayhem. <laughs> Could be. Kevin Brown, thank you. You're the best. Bye, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> oh, man. What a guy. I love I love the bear pun. That was phenomenal, uh, among many other so things. He's such a – thank he's, you, Kevin, for hopping on with us. Um, wow, we just we just keep on rolling. We've got more guests that are coming up here on the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. Remember, you can read all the great content on D1Softball.com using the promo code PODCAST20 as for 20% off of an annual subscription. And now let's go to the number eight overall seed, the Duke Blue Devils, and their head coach, Marissa Young is joining the show coach good morning congratulations on being a top eight for the first time in school history how are you very good thank you all right marissa i want to know uh what that was like uh with the team when y'all were announced as the number eight uh seed in the country what was that moment like for you very exciting you know when we started getting to that six and seven being announced obviously you want to be in that top eight and it just sitting on pins and needles and in the, the crowd, the group erupted. Um, we had some girls that had graduation that day. It's Mother's Day. Just a lot of uh, great things to celebrate. And coach, we saw Cassidy Curd kind of burst onto the scene very early. I watched her pitch in Clearwater in person and was really impressed. And to see her continue growth this year has been really eye-opening and to to watch her throw that no hitter against Clemson I think was a a perfect capper for her going into the NCAA tournament what have you seen from her and her work ethic and just her development throughout the year that tells you that that she's ready for this moment once regionals start this weekend yeah she's just a student of the game and all season has been that person that's you know watching film on her own trying to pick up um, things that she can do better, what she's noticing from her opponents, putting in the the, the root, extra work in the weight room and working on her conditioning so that she could go seven innings, um, which is something that we challenged her and to go seven innings for the first time and it be a no hitter in ACC uh, tournament. I mean, couldn't be any better, but she just loves to compete for her teammates. Uh, you see her out there with just a lot of energy. She's constantly talking to her catcher and to the infield. Um, they just love playing behind her. And, you know, Jayla Wright is that pitcher that came on um, late for us last year. And so I think she's done a great job of grooming Cassidy and really preparing her for what was to come uh, this this year. And they've been a great one to duo. 
And sticking with the freshmen, uh, your rookie class there at Duke, I know you spoke about them very highly before the season started, but I want to talk about uh, Deanna Jennings and Amina Vega and what those two have have meant to this offense. Uh, Because obviously it's it's tough to start as a rookie, but for those to be in the one and three spot, what have those two uh, meant to your offense? I'm just so proud of the way that those two have stepped up, uh, put in a lot of work and um, really just believed in the process of, of growth this year. But they are both very dynamic players. They really get things going for us. But to me, it's their poise um, that I love most. And that really helps the offense at the top of the lineup is, you know, whether they're having success or, or they're out, uh, they still have that that swag and that confidence. And I think that that's definitely contagious to the rest of the offense. Coach, let's talk about your regional coming to town this weekend. You've got Charlotte Campbell and George Mason, and you've already played Charlotte and Campbell this year. You haven't played George Mason yet. That'll be your opener in regionals, but, but does it help you at all knowing that you've already got the scout, got the notes, got, got some things set aside for a couple of your regional opponents already going in? Absolutely. As a coach, it definitely helps uh, the preparation. I said that yesterday. Yay, I only have to do one scouting report. From scratch. <laughs> um, I think our team does well when they have some sense of familiarity of what to expect. But at the same time, we know this time of year, um, you know, you're going to get everybody's best game. Uh, it's It's anybody's game on any given day. And so not to take the, the previous experiences with those teams lightly. Um, we've got to show up and continue to play our best softball for seven innings. And coach, I want to talk a little bit about ACC softball uh, and you've been a part of the rise of ACC softball. What have you seen uh, in the conference since uh, beginning the program at Duke? Uh, how have you seen that growth and what do you attribute to the growth uh, of the conference? Yeah, I think when we started the program, you know, the the bar was what do we need to do to to measure up or keep up with Florida State. And Lonnie's done a fantastic job with that program. And obviously, once Florida State has been a you know World Series contender, I think that that has really elevated the ACC conference as a whole. Um, and then obviously the success that Virginia Tech has had and Clemson starting their program as well as us being at the top year in and year out. Um, it just, it continues to be a dogfight every weekend in the ACC conference, which I think continues to elevate each of our programs, um, which makes us better in the postseason. And speaking of better in the postseason, I mean, again, we've mentioned Duke a top eight seed for the first time in school history. What is it going to take for your team to reach the world series for the first time in school history? What do you want to see in the next few weeks to make that happen? I think it's just about continuing to believe in ourselves. Um, you know, again, I think everyone in the softball world thought that this would be a rebuilding year for us after losing Peyton St. George and graduating eight seniors and a new coaching staff. And for us to be, you know, the highest point in our in our career where we've been with such a young group and a new staff, couldn't be more proud of them. Uh, and we've done that by just sticking to our process uh, and continuing to believe. And I think as long as they continue to do that and don't make it any bigger than it needs to be, um, we'll get where we want to be. And speaking of new coaching staff, I know it was it was a shock to see Cindy Romero in some some blue uh, when she headed on over to your staff. What's Sid meant to this offense and to the coaching staff, Sid Romero, uh, and her coming on uh, and being a blue devil? 
She's just uh, an incredible person and coach. Um, obviously, her experience and success is something that, you know, makes her credible to the players from day one. Um, but she's such a humble person in the way that she just delivers her message and the way that she guides our players has been very instrumental. It's a it's a really neat dynamic. I think they see her, um, obviously, a lot of respect for her, but also see her as a big sister and a mentor who can um, work with them side by side to help get them better. Um, and so it's been really great that that she's been able to guide from an experience standpoint. And I think they have a lot of uh, respect for her. Coach, last thing for me, I think that we saw with this committee the importance of not just scheduling non-conference games, but winning those non-conference games. And in particular, we saw a lot of teams that went to Clearwater and played well uh, get rewarded for that even here in May. How important was it for, for this team this year for you to challenge them as early as you did with the toughest non-conference tournament that they play in softball? Absolutely. I mean, we started it in California uh, at Oklahoma's opener. Um, and, you know, again, just at first, a lot of folks thinking maybe we overscheduled for this young group, but, you know, throw them to the wolves, uh, want them to see the best of the best and have the opportunity to rise to the challenge. And they've done that. You know, they they enjoy playing the best of the best. Um, I think we learned a lot early on in the season of what little things we needed to get better at to be able to win those ball games. Um, but they, this group just loves to compete and, and loves to be in that big environment. And potential, we're going to jump ahead here because hypothetically uh, to super regional matchup with Stanford. Played Stanford earlier in the season at that tournament. I was at that game uh, at the Mark Campbell Classic. Uh, in terms of Stanford and what you saw for them early on in the season, are you even looking ahead at that? And, and what did you see out of that Stanford squad? Yeah, a very good team um, offensively, obviously gets good arms in the circle. But as we both know, we're a very different team this time of year, as I'm sure they are as well. So um, that will be almost like starting over um, after having played them the first weekend out. They've had a great season and we're just trying to take things one game at a time and stay focused on uh, George Mason, who's our first game and continue to be where our feet are. I'll tell you what, Coach, if that ends up being a super, it will most certainly win best GPA super, <laughs> Stanford and Duke. Uh, the SAT scores coming out of that would be crazy. <laughs> yes. Uh, Coach, thank you so much for taking some time with us this morning. Congratulations again on being a top eight seed. That's phenomenal work, and we'll be watching this postseason. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. That is Duke head coach Marissa Young joining us here on the D1 Softball Podcast. And, man, I'll tell you what, my my ACT scores would not have been anywhere <laughs> close to some of the ones that we might see in a potential Duke and Stanford Super. No, uh, absolutely not. And I love this Duke squad. I think, you know, there were a lot of people that had doubts heading into this season uh, in losing a, a ton of veterans. But – Gosh, they're scrappy. They're fun to watch. I've been able to watch them a couple weekends actually this year uh, in various tournaments, including at Mark Campbell Classic uh, in Clearwater. So uh, another team that I would keep an eye on, and I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in OKC, Gray. I wouldn't either. And, and I think, you know, I mentioned Clearwater, but to your point and to Coach's point as well, the Mark Campbell um, might have played a, a truly direct uh, role in seeding seven, eight, and nine, Washington, Duke, and Stanford, uh, which I thought was really, really interesting. And we do have a little bit of a break before our next guest, Tara, so we can dive into the bracket uh, a bit more because I know that 
Uh, some people out there might have questions. If you have them, oh, there's a lot. You've already, <laughs> if you've already sent in a question, I'm sorry. The chat is popping. I will not be able yes. to find it. Uh, so you can go ahead and send them in um, because yeah. I'm sure, Tara, that there's a lot to discuss. Uh, first off, as somebody who tries to predict the bracket and has done an okay job the last few years, uh, I was I was shocked at how wrong I was very quickly. Uh, it got to the point where in the room at the Alabama selection show, I was like literally shouting out who it was going to be. And we get to number five <laughs> and one of the players says, Gray, who is it? And before I can say who I thought it was, it was the team I was watching the show with, uh, which I think is, I, we talked about it earlier. We talked about it with Kevin. Uh, that seems to be the thing that is the biggest sticking point for a lot of folks uh, in particular, the the criteria that was used to evaluate Alabama, not necessarily used to evaluate other teams. Again, I think Baylor has a major gripe this morning uh, based on what we know the committee looked at with Alabama. But Tara, I know you had some thoughts. I mean, Baylor, how about Texas? We can talk I, about it. Okay. I, I, with that, that reaction, I know that you think that they're probably where they should be, but I don't think they are. Texas at 13. Uh, I, when you see, an, I'm just talking about how it's weighted, right? Like when you see Oklahoma state, you see Washington, you see Duke, uh, then a Stanford, then a LSU, then Arkansas, Northwestern, Texas. Like I, I'm looking at the 12 and 13 seeds. So Northwestern and 12 and Texas at 13. Um, I do agree with Kevin. I think after four, I think five through 13 are tough. Five through 14 are tough. Um, Georgia didn't do themselves any favors towards the end of the season, but I still, um, in terms of that five through 14, I, I just didn't have it going that way. I mean, I don't know if you agree with me, Gray, but, um, those are the two that also just stuck out to me big time. Well, I think the thing with me for Texas is, uh, somebody was tweeting me when I posted my bracketology, I had Texas at 12 and somebody said that's too low and multiple people did. And I, I think for me, it came down to the lack of quality wins for Texas. Uh, they had a lot of good metrics, but just three top 10 wins, which is something I've had on, in the packet ever since I started charting things, uh, just seven top 25 wins. For example, that's less than Alabama, Baylor, Arkansas, Utah, Washington, LSU, and Oklahoma State. And just 10 top 50 RPI wins. The only team even on the page that had fewer was Clemson. Uh, Oregon had more, Utah had more, Washington, Baylor, Florida, Louisiana, a team that we have yet to talk about, but I'm sure we'll dive into it in just a moment. So, so Texas, I think, did not have the overall quality wins that I think that the committee was looking for. Um, again, you know, you could make the argument that beating Alabama should have counted more and that sweeping Oklahoma State should have counted more, but I, I thought that when all was said and done <laughs> – uh, I thought Texas at 13 made sense when we looked at what the committee was valuing, which seemed to be amount of quality wins. I think it makes sense in, in whatever the committee was obviously valuing. I don't think in history and past that it makes sense. I, just like Alabama at number five, doesn't make sense. I mean, make you maybe great. Maybe you can make it make sense. Alabama at five. You think well, it's quality wins? I, I think so. I, I think it's RPI top 10 wins, which is interesting because it's something that even when I started putting it on my chart and when I asked TV, when I would do games, 
uh, to put it on the graphic, people would say the committee doesn't look at that. And my response will always be, why not? The high end win should matter. We shouldn't be just looking at top 25. We should be looking at where in the top 25 are the teams that you beat. Uh, I do think it's interesting that the committee seemed to, quite frankly, ignore some of the holes in Alabama's profile. But one of the things that I did like about what this committee did was they did not just reward teams for playing a hard schedule. They rewarded teams for winning the non-conference games when they played them. I think that's why Stanford and Northwestern are as low as they are. Stanford, zero top 10 wins. And as I'm looking at it, just seven top 25 wins. That's fewer than even Baylor had, than even Utah had. Uh, Northwestern, same deal. One top 10 win and six top 25 wins. So I, I think that, it's good to see the committee reward people for actually winning their non-conference games and not just playing them like say a Louisiana or even a couple of years ago, we saw teams like Kentucky get high seeds just because of their overall strength of schedule numbers. But I also am bothered by the fact that each year we do this, the committee seems to pinpoint one thing that they're emphasizing and not on the full body of work, which I think is more how it should be. Uh, I was putting together my list based on full body of work and I'm not sure it's fair to pick and choose individual criteria for certain benchmarks when putting together the bracket. Well, and then if you look at bad losses, Gray, so I'm talking about really bad losses, anywhere from, you know, your 100 to 200 losses, Northwestern has, has one. Uh, so you're taking a look at that, but uh, Alabama has one. Uh, and then if you go over to their 50 to 100 losses, Oklahoma State has four. Uh, Northwestern has three. Texas has two. Louisiana has two. Alabama has two. Washington has three. So some sometimes the bad losses are weighted more. But it doesn't, to me, I don't know that those bad losses were weighted uh, this year more than these quality wins. Well, it's interesting because – and I'm seeing a lot of people in the chat – you know, some people are saying that makes sense. Some people are saying, well, then then discuss this team. Uh, I'm so fascinated because the two teams that I cannot rationalize being where they are based on the numbers and based on the criteria that the committee used are Oklahoma State and Clemson. I, I, I can't make sense of it. Oklahoma State had good stuff. They had, I think, top eight material. I had them at eight. Uh, again, more proof that the committee does not care how you finish if it's bad. Uh, we've, I've said that for years. We've talked about that for years. They say last 10 matters, but if it's a bad last 10, I have not seen as of yet a, a team penalized for that. Um, but Oklahoma State did not have an inordinately high number of top 10, top 25, or top 50 wins. And, and to see where they popped up doesn't make sense. And then Clemson... Um, I don't get it at all because not only did they not play the games, but they didn't win very many of those high end games. And they did have bad losses as well to your point, Tara, about the opposite end of the RPI. So I don't know. I, I saw somebody say rationalize Clemson. I can't, I think it should have been Baylor based on the way that the committee was seeding these teams. Yeah, I agree with you. I think in terms of how the committee is seeding the teams, I, I don't, understand how Clemson there but I just want to catch so you can justify Bama being at five because you said the only two you couldn't justify were Oklahoma State and Clemson so you I, can do it let me let me phrase it like this <laughs> based based on the criteria that they used 
it makes sense. Would it be how I would have seeded it? No. But based on what they looked at, I can understand how they got to that point. Would I have done it? No. I had Alabama at 10 going into Selection Sunday, and I think I was one of the highest ones I saw. I could make an argument for higher, but I, I didn't because, frankly, RPI. RPI scared me away from doing what I think a lot of – a lot of how I would have seeded the teams. I was not high on Northwestern this year. I was not super high on Stanford. The only reason I had Stanford at five going in was because of their RPI. So it also was kind of nice to see the committee not seed on RPI. Do I agree with the judgment that they use for everybody? Not necessarily, but I like that they actually did use some judgment because in years past, we have not seen that. I'm going to put this up here because it's not every day that we get uh, nice comments. So, um, Gray. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, yes, I think. Thank you, Brandon. Yes, Gray's incredible and does all this work uh, and crunching numbers and putting it all together. So, uh, we normally get the bad stuff on here. So, it's good to, to remind everybody of the good stuff. But Well, right below, let's somebody down... called me a homer. So, I, you know, oh, we, we win some, we lose some. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's go into some of these regionals because we do have some time before our next guest, Gray. I, you know, in terms of Stanford, I, I've got this this feeling that the committee doesn't like Jessica Allister because I don't know if you all remember <laughs> years ago, same thing happened at Minnesota. And to see Stanford uh, at the nine, I just thinking like, oh my gosh, I think they just have something against Jess, Jess Allister because again, in terms of strength of schedule and certain in terms of uh, non-conference strength of schedule and what she put together. Um, it seems like the committee has it out for, for Jess Allister. I gotta say Florida going to Palo Alto is just, I mean, juicy, juicy, juicy. Let me drink my liquid death mountain water. As I prepare to talk about the Gators offense against the Stanford pitching, what a matchup, but always Tara, when we look at one specific matchup, I always think about the other. How will Florida pitching do against the Stanford offense that has been incredibly erratic at times, but always has the potential to find a way to scratch across a couple runs? It is it is a regional where I don't know who I'm going to pick. Typically, if I don't know who I'm going to pick, I go with the seeded team. But I think that Florida, with that offense, has a chance to show Stanford something that they haven't seen this year. And also we have to keep in mind, another reason why Stanford is as low as they were, they really struggled against the high-end teams that they played this year. And in particular, the high-end Pac-12 teams that they played this year. So can Florida raise their level and play like a postseason Florida team? If so, they can absolutely get out of that regional. Well, it's just interesting because you've got Stanford, a team that we know can pitch and we'll, we'll shut down opposing offenses. And we've got, uh, the Gators, the Florida Gators, who we know can hit and score a ton of runs, i.e. the Skylar Wallace factor. So uh, that is going to be a very interesting matchup in Palo Alto. And then you got LMU and Long Beach State there uh, heading up to Palo Alto. Uh, I was actually here for the Big West Championship. I know I said that. I watched Long Beach State sweep Fullerton uh, to take that championship. They needed three wins, and they did it this past weekend. But LMU, they're, they're sneaky too. They got, you know, Jenna Perez in the circle, she she was a strikeout leader out here out west. So um, interesting regional Palo Alto. But, yes, eyes on the Gators and the Cardinal. That's going to be a fun one, Gray. Where do you want to go next? Do you want to go to Texas or do you want to go to Knoxville? Because I think that little quadrant is fascinating. 
Wherever you want, Gray. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. All right, let's go to Texas. Let's go to Austin. Uh, you've got Texas. You've got Seton Hall, your Big East champs. Congratulations to that team. You've got Texas State, one of the last four in, with Jessica Mullins, who has already beaten Texas this year. And then you've got Texas A&M and Trisha Ford, a team that I think is a huge wild card in all of this. Look, this is not a cakewalk <laughs> for the Texas Longhorns. No, because you don't really know what, what Aggies are going to show up. Uh, you know, you've got an arm like Emily Kennedy uh, that throws gas from the left side. You've got an offense that can produce, but then <clears throat> you don't know what defense is going to show up for the Aggies. Same thing with Texas. Uh, I think that's a young squad and a, a team that's been somewhat inconsistent, but uh, has proven that they can stay in games and compete. And gosh, I was there for the two walk-off uh, wins against Oklahoma state. And that place was just electric uh, and being uh, being there and, and seeing the energy uh, in that young squad. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's going to be a really tough regional. And, you know, paired with Tennessee, Texas, potential Texas, Tennessee, super. That's a that's lot tough. of orange, Tara. That's a lot of orange in that super regional, potentially. <laughs> and that's not an easy route for Tennessee either. No, I, let's dive into that. It's it's the regional of the big boppers. You've got Taryn Kern at yes. Indiana. You've got Taylor Roby at Louisville. You've got Kiki at Tennessee. Home runs galore. And the biggest question for the Lady Balls, Tara, is going to be Ashley Rogers. How much will she be able to pitch? Uh, we assume that we will see her for sure. Mm-hmm. She's been for the most part, healthy this year. But if somebody is able to beat Tennessee and knock them to the loser's bracket, how much more Rodgers will we see in those situations? Oh, I think she's going to throw. I mean, I think she's had enough rest throughout the season. Um, You know, Carlin Pickens, uh, the rookie, she started off really strong for the Vols. And uh, if they can just dial her in a little bit and have her eat up some innings, I think that'll really help out Ashley Rodgers and Peyton Gotchel. You can't, you know, can't not talk about Peyton Gotchel. Uh, the transfer from Bowling Green. But again, another spicy uh, region. Uh, and we're going to see the ball leave the yard numerous times uh, in Knoxville. And that's going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, and Braden makes a good point in the comments. Tennessee has not gotten out of their regional the last couple of years. We saw JMU two years ago, Oregon State, and Stanford. That was a Supers matchup last year after Alabama and Tennessee were both eliminated. And this year... I mean, look, Louisville as a three seed is, oh boy, I don't, I mean, I watched them in the, that series of Florida State. That is a good team that maybe metrics wise wasn't highly regarded by the committee, but oh boy, do not take Louisville lightly. Well, you know, Taylor Roby, right? Like, are you, are you kidding me? She's like arguably, I mean, I, I would think one of the best, most impactful players. Well, I know she is because we did a metric about it. Um, she is one of the most impactful players uh, in Division One softball. So, uh, again, another you know another tough place to be. And if I'm Tennessee, I mean, we'll talk about when we get to FSU. Same thing. Like I just there's no easy route here. I don't think, and that just shows you the the growth of our game uh, and the parity in our game. And you know, you just don't know who's going to get hot. You know, it it just depends on what team gets hot at the right time. All right. I'm seeing a bunch of questions about it, so I'm just going to address it. Um, A a lot of people are talking about the injury with Montana. And uh, we can look at the Tuscaloosa Regional, Alabama, whether you like it or not, is the five seed. 
So they're taking on Central Arkansas. They've got Middle Tennessee coming in and LIU. And the question here is, when will we hear about Fouts? Uh, I know and I, I can share that they went to Birmingham today. Patrick Murphy announced that on Rally Cap last night. He said that multiple times. Uh, did that to check with the doctors. Dr. Lau Kane, one of the best in the country, uh, will, is looking at her and was looking at her this morning. Uh, I have not heard anything as of yet. When will we hear anything? Uh, somebody responded, when she either pitches or she doesn't. I think that's right. Uh, unless Patrick Murphy makes an announcement prior um, we probably won't know anything until the pregame show on the Crimson Tide Sports Network coming up on Friday when we talk with Coach Murphy. Yeah, I mean, you you hope for for Montana Fouts. You you hope for the sport that she's able to get back into the circle because she's meant so much, uh, not only to Alabama, but I think to the sport, well, I know to the sport as a whole, and an incredible role model and somebody that it would be tough to see that if that was her last um, game uh, in in the sport of, of Division One. So, uh, speedy recovery, Montana. Hopefully, we get some good news and we'll see you back out in the circle. Yeah, and I'm excited to see the Sugar Bears of Central Arkansas in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Jordan Johnson, the ASM Pitcher of the Year, one of my favorite people from the FGCL this summer. Uh, really, really pumped to see Central Arkansas in action this weekend. Should be a really fun regional, and excited to call all of those games with Tom Canterbury on the radio. Uh, as we look at the right side, Tara, let's talk about that that top half. We've discussed Tallahassee. I think, though, that the potential Supers matchup with Georgia is really, really interesting for Florida State. Uh, this is as tough a path, I think, for a three-seed as I've ever seen. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Craig. Not, not only was I shocked when South Carolina was in that, that region, when I saw that they were paired with Georgia – uh, at the 14 seed, you know, listen, Florida State, they know how to win. Uh, I, I love the way they run the bases. Uh, it, it's, you know, one of my favorite things about that squad, but they just, they just get it done and they know how to win in high pressure situations in big games. Uh, they've got a full pitching staff uh, to rival a, a Georgia squad that is historically knows how to hit the long ball. And that team has a high powered offense. So that could potentially be, uh, again, another crazy super regional if those two can get out of their respective regionals. But I wouldn't sleep on Virginia Tech. I, I think they could potentially uh, maybe do some damage there in that region. I don't know what your thoughts are, Gray. It's it's really hard for me to be like, yeah, Virginia Tech, when they've given up, uh, it feels like 100 home runs this year, and they're going to Athens to take on but a they've Georgia they've also team. Like, hit them. That's They've true. They've also hit like a hundred. That's so it's true. Like, it's one for one. But I, I just, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to get on board with that. I think Boston U is a really interesting team because they've gone to Athens and beaten Georgia yep. uh, in the non-conference a couple years ago. They've won 50 games this year. They drubbed Lehigh in what we deemed as the biggest weekend or the biggest series of the weekend a couple weeks ago to win the Patriot League uh, regular season title. I think Boston U is going to be a really, really tricky team for Georgia um, or for Virginia Tech. I mean, we're talking about Virginia Tech, Georgia. Hokies have to beat the Terriers before that even happens. Yeah, I mean, a lot has to happen before any of these, these super regionals, but it's hypothetical, right? Um, but again, I, I actually, I, I know that you don't agree with this, but I think you, you got you to gotta keep your eye on the Hokies. I, I, really, I, I really think it, Gray. We'll see. That's that's not one that jumps out of me. I think South Carolina is okay. more dangerous. But 
Yeah, that's the beauty of bracketing and creating our own bracket, which you can do on the D1 Softball Bracket Challenge, right, Tara? Correct. And do we have a, I think we have a graphic to talk about the D1 Softball Bracket Challenge. Just gone, yeah, head me, on over to the site. pop this up. There you go. Yeah, we did it quickly when Kevin Brown was on here, but first place gets 1000 in cash. Hello. Uh, terms and conditions may apply, so I'm guessing that means players. Um, but you can still enter and, and put your bracket in. Uh, Evo Shield, $200 Evo Shield gift card and Evo Shield prize pack for the first place winner. Second place will get a $50 Evo Shield gift card, uh, even Evo Shield prize pack, and third place will get an Evo Shield prize pack. So thank you to our friends over at Evo Shield for sponsoring our bracket challenge, which, Greg, you and I uh, enter every year and and have a, a nice chat about. Yeah, I can't wait again. Shout out to Tony Mascarenas to somehow lose in our group, but whatever. <laughs> Sam Fisher, I'm sure we'll put together a good bracket and uh, Q will do something as well. Emily P. Tech, the whole gang. So um, very excited to come in like eighth of nine people. As we look again at the right side, Tara, we got to talk about this Oklahoma State regional. You know, again, similar to Alabama, whether you like it or not, Oklahoma State's the sixth seed. What I like about what the committee did is they stuck probably the two best mid-majors on the board and sent them to those regionals. So Central Arkansas going to Alabama and Wichita State going to Oklahoma State. The Shockers have run that season series this year, and now we'll see if they can do it again here this weekend in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Wichita State is my sleeper pick, uh, Gray. Uh, Gray. I, uh, I think they could potentially get out of there. I know that they've, they beat Oklahoma State twice in the regular season, but uh, I do think what Christy Breadbender has done uh, with that squad and what Sydney McKinney means uh, in terms of that leadership, uh, the Shockers have a chance to get out of that, and we just don't know what Oklahoma State team is going to show up. You know, if we've got that Oklahoma State team that we saw earlier in the season, there's no way uh, that this happens. But, you know, we've seen them take a a really large slide in the last uh, 10, 12 games here. So we just don't know what team's going to show up. But um, and you can't count out Nebraska or or UMBC uh, there in Stillwater. So uh, I'm actually I got my money on Wichita State here. Me too. That was one of the early upsets that I had. I have Wichita State coming out of that. Um, I think Nebraska is a team that could could provide some some trickiness for Oklahoma State and Wichita State should they play. But I think I think a big reason why is last year Wichita State went to regionals, went to Fayetteville, and just got smoked. They were never really involved in the proceedings in Fayetteville, and I think they're going to learn from that and come with a a bit of a renewed fire this year against the Cowgirls team that like we've talked about has not been playing well uh, in really any facet of the game. And when one thing is working, then the other is not. And why? Who's to say, but if they don't fix it, then they're not going to get past the first weekend because you've got a team like Wichita State that can take advantage of those deficiencies if they still exist. Yeah. And I was in uh, Stillwater for one of those losses. Um, against uh, Wichita State. So, you know, there is something different that's happening there uh, in Stillwater. And you don't know, maybe it's a different team that's going to show up for the postseason. And that's what's so great about the postseason is, uh, you know, it's a new part of the season. So we'll see which Cowgirls team shows up. But they're paired with number 11, Arkansas. 
and I don't think we're talking enough about this region either because uh, got a, a sneaky good Oregon team uh, in there and, and a Notre Dame squad that, you know, has got upset potential too uh, as well. And, and they've got Harvard uh, in this Fayetteville Regional. Gray, I want to know what your thoughts are on this number 11 Arkansas seed. I think that Arkansas was seeded pretty appropriately. Um, I'm, I'm quite frankly shocked that Notre Dame was in the bracket. That was one of the uh, jaw droppers once that popped up on the screen because I thought that there were a couple teams that might get in on the bubble uh, ahead of that. Notre Dame won the last four in. Oregon, I, I still don't know, which makes them dangerous. I mean, how many times yeah. have we talked about the Ducks as a team – where we watch them and go, are they are they really good and they just have off nights? Are they an average team that just plays above their heads? And I, I don't think that the last month has given us that much clarity. Yes, they've won a lot of games, but I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's not an easy regional for Arkansas. But that being said, uh, I was in the thick of it this weekend when that crowd is full throat. Uh, it is a very tough place to play. Very, very tough place to play. And, and I don't think it'll be easy for Arkansas, but I do think they will get out of Fayetteville. Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of Arkansas, last year, I think I had them actually winning uh, the Women's College World Series. They were on you a did. great run. Yeah, I did. Um, so I do think they have the tools now this year. It's not the same team, but uh, in terms of getting out of that regional, I think we are going to see uh, them get to through to the supers and gosh, just looking at that crowd, wasn't able to be there at the SEC tournament, but just seeing the crowd and the growth of our sport, all the photos, it just, <clears throat> it makes your heart warm because um, this is just the beginning and it's only getting bigger. And to see Bogle pack like that, uh, it was just incredible. Let me tell you, Tara, there is something special about doing radio amongst the people. We were sitting outside because they wanted both radio booths to be on equal footing. So we were outside uh, in the Arkansas section, actually, Tom and I. And it was just a wild time. Um, awesome hospitality by everybody at Arkansas. Just tip of the cap to Grace Defoe and everybody with the Southeastern Conference and with Arkansas for running a phenomenal tournament. But really, the the crowd can be a difference maker and I think for Arkansas to get to the World Series, it's all about just kind of getting over the the hump that they themselves have created. You know, two straight years, they've gotten to Supers, played that Super at home, and lost. So they've got to find a way just to, to get over that hump somehow. And maybe the fact that this team is really, really young is what can help them do that. Uh, potentially. Uh, I think, again, I think anything goes. And it's all about who gets hot when uh, and who – who can throw well in the circle? So are your arms doing well in the circle? And, and you know, I, it's cliche as it is. It's timely hitting uh, as well. So, um, you know, I think that's an interesting on both sides. I think that's going to be interesting, that number six, 11 matchup. Uh, and if Oklahoma State can get out of that regional, um, that could be a little bit uh, easier route, I think, uh, to get to the Women's College World Series. I would agree. We can look at the bottom right portion of the bracket in just a bit, but you know what? It's been a hot second since we've talked to somebody here on the D1 Softball Podcast. I think it's time to bring on another guest. What do you say, Tara? Yeah, I, I think it's great. I can't wait. Who do, right. who do we got? Let's do it. We've got Jordan Rudd from Northwestern coming on the show. Jordan, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, obviously selection Sunday, always a blast. Uh, what was 
the reaction in the room with you and your team as you were watching the seating unfold and you saw Northwestern's name pop up at 12? We were really excited. You know, another opportunity to be at home and an opportunity to play together. We're just so excited in general. And Jordan, what is it about this team? I mean, you know, being a part of uh, an incredible, uh, you know, senior class or super senior class, uh, the ability to win, ability to make it to the to the Women's College World Series last year. There's something special uh, about this squad. What do you think that is? You know, it's hard to pinpoint it because we we talk about it all the time and we always talk about our friendships with one another being a huge part of it. And I think we've all really just bought into the process um, at Northwestern and we, we love it. We love each other and we care for one another. And that's a big part of our success is being able to rely on each other um, and being able to just go out and play and have fun and not blame each other for any mistakes or feel upset when you fail. We're all just there for each other. Let's talk about that Big Ten championship game against Indiana, the 2-1 win. Your offense hadn't really done anything against Copeland up until the seventh inning, and then all of a sudden, boom, like you just talked about, finding a way to win. Uh, What was that game like as you were watching it all unfold? (laughs) It was kind of a little bit of a whirlwind to begin with, and we were a little bit sped up at the beginning, and I think that's something, you know, near the end we were like, we just have to relax, (laughs) you know, like – we weren't feeling super uncomfortable or anything. It was just a matter of getting our barrel like completely to the ball instead of just pulling off a little or being a little early, a little late. And, um, you know, the last inning came around and we were just like, Let, let's go. Like we've waited too long. It's time to go. And um, we all really bought in on, you know, following the next batter in line. And Jordan, I know obviously you have uh, two head or head coach and associate head coach, Kate and Carol twins. Uh, what is it like to play for those two and how are they different or how are they the same or how are they different uh, in playing with those for those two? You know, they're like, I mean, they're identical twins, but they're also so different. And I think, you know, we always joke like Kate is like the serious one. She still is so much fun, but she's the serious one. She keeps us in line. And Carol is the one that jokes with you behind the scenes and like, it's so funny. And they're such a great combo for us to have where, you know, I may need someone to be really serious and tough with me in the moment. I go to Kate. I need someone to just crack a joke. I go to Carol. Um, And I think it's something that's really great for our team with the different personalities and being able to, you know, go to who we need. And they always seem to find us in the right moments. Um, They're the best coaches ever. And I am so glad that they're our coaches. I want to talk to you, Jordan, about this pitching staff as well, because we have seen the workload balloon for everybody. Uh, it's it's much more of a staff this year, and you're the one doing all the catching. Um, how, how has it been managing so many arms this year? Honestly, it's been a lot of fun. Um, everyone's really stepped up and learned, and you know, it's exciting to be able to catch that many pitchers that are so excited to play the game. Um, and being able to work with them all year has been great. Um, Lauren Boyd's really stepped up and grown and it's been really fun to watch her this year. And she's, you know, helped Danielle in a lot of ways. Um, and Sydney and Cammie and Curry, all of them are really, you know, helping behind the scenes, especially it's a lot of stuff that we don't even see. Um, they go to each other's bullpens and help one another. And it's awesome just to watch um, everyone want success for each other. It's been great. And Jordan, joining the staff this year is Tony Smith uh, as a volunteer uh assistant coach and I know he deals a lot with player development tell me what your experience has been like uh working with Tony and and how that's helped this squad this season 
It's been so unique and different. Um, Tony brings a different type of energy to our team. Um, he's always excited. He's he's crazy is kind of how I describe it in like the best way possible. Um, and he brings, you know, with the player development part, he teaches me new ways to learn things that I've never had to kind of comprehend. You know, I come into my fifth year and I'm like, I've been around the block, you know, I want to learn. And he brings in a lot of new ways for me to be able to do that and all of our team. Um, you know, a big part was like, I used to be a split grip hitter with my hands. And he was like, we got to get rid of it. I was like, okay, let's do it. And that's something that's really helped me. So um, he brings a different energy, a different like piece of knowledge that a lot of us really like. Um, and he brings a little bit of the baseball side too. And I really enjoy that. Jordan, I wanted to make sure that we mentioned the Big Ten as well, because, you know, amount of bids or not, it was quite clear that the Big Ten was just overall deeper this year, that that everybody had raised their level just a bit. Uh, how important is that growth from a league standpoint, from kind of what you saw in your early days at Northwestern to now? And I think in particular with the context of UCLA coming in a few years, too. You know, the Big Ten is so competitive, and that's why we saw a lot of, like, parity with it, where certain teams, like, not everyone was sweeping every weekend, and it was pretty cool to actually watch and be a part of. I think there's a lot of really great players and great coaches that are really forcing their players to compete, and I think it's been really fun, and um, they're growing a lot. You know, being able to bring in UCLA and all that eventually will be pretty cool. Um, I wish I could be around for it, <laughs> but um, I'm excited about it. And I think the more competitive the Big Ten can be, the better. I mean, we are growing as a league, and it's it's really exciting to watch and be a part of. And Jordan, last one for me. What are you most excited to heading into this regional uh, in Evanston? I am so excited just to be with my teammates and just play with them. Um, you know, we always talk about like the days are numbered for us fifth years. And the thing is, is we're so excited that we get to do it together. And then we get to play regionals at home. I think that's really exciting. The J is such a unique place to play at. And we have so many wonderful fans that we're just excited to be together, take the field again and compete out there. Jordan, there is a lot of catching power in this regional. I think in particular of you and Kayla Kowalik, that, that is going to be fun to see you both in the same city for regionals this weekend. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, I know a lot of the people at Kentucky, so it's really cool to see some of my family friends there. Um, we're, we're super excited for that. Mm, phenomenal. Well, congratulations on hosting, on winning the Big Ten, on all of your accomplishments this year and throughout your career. And we'll see you in the NCAA tournament. I know you can't wait. We can't either. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good luck, Jordan. That's Jordan Rudd from Northwestern. Awesome. And just just phenomenal. And I had to mention the the catcher thing. Jordan Rudd and Kayla Kowalik, two of the best catchers in America in the same regional. Where's Jen Schroeder? She's got to be melting. I know. Well, we tried to get her on the show, but uh, maybe she could jump on. I could text her here. Really Is she getting too. a massage right now? Is that what's yeah. happening? <laughs> Uh, but no, we didn't even ask Jordan about being drafted. I totally forgot about that. But um, yes, what a great uh, regional. And yeah, I didn't even put together that catching uh, connection, Gray. So nice one on that. Yeah, I mean, and I, I believe Allie Cummins is still catching at Miami of Ohio and she's had a great year. Uh, that could be wrong, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of catching power in that regional. And maybe I will see Jordan in person in a couple of weeks at Supers. Who's to say? Yeah, you never know. Never know. It, it could definitely happen. But let's dive into some regionals while we're waiting for our next guest. I think our last guest is the Monica Abbott.
Yeah. Who? Now we'll, we'll have that chat with Monica in just a moment because I know she's got some takes as well. Uh, we didn't really yeah. dive into the bottom right of the bracket, Tara. So yeah. let, let's look at, first of all, the Bayou Madness, I guess. The 10 seed is LSU. Uh, a touch lower than I thought they'd be. I think the biggest shocker here is Louisiana. Um, first time that anybody 11 or higher in the RPI has not hosted a regional they were quite clearly not pleased when we saw the uh, camera cut um, to what was happening. And I, I got to say, it's just, it's overall a bummer because we've seen this matchup so many daggum times, Louisiana and LSU and regionals. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like a broken record here. And, and you'd think that maybe the committee would, would just send them somewhere else at, at this point, if they're not going to give them a seed. Uh, so Yes, it is again, but I, I've got a few teams highlighted on here. Those first timers in the the women or the the NCAA tournament, right? Uh, those that teams we've got seven, right? Gray, seven I teams, so. and Omaha is one of them uh, in that region. So Omaha's uh, Charlotte, Eastern Illinois, George Mason, Northern Colorado, Northern Kentucky, and North Carolina Central. So those seven teams, first time in the NCAA tournament. So congratulations to them. I just had that circled Omaha, so I want to make sure we get that in there. Uh, but again, a- another another question: What which LSU team is going to show up? Uh, I think we're going to again. We're looking at that as well, and and Louisiana has the chops to do it. Uh, yeah, I, I would not be surprised. Again, it's another one I have circled. I would not be surprised if the Louisiana gets out of Baton Rouge. I would not either. And I think with LSU, it's just about playing up to their talent. I mean, I've seen so many LSU teams over the years in person and I've watched them and said they have every piece that they could possibly need. Why are they not winning more and why are they not better? And there have been times this year um, where I feel like they've been close. Uh, If they can put it together, this is a team that absolutely can make a run to OKC. If they can't, then Louisiana can knock them out. And like you said, Omaha is going to be a tricky team because their pitching is so strong. So this is is not an easy regional for LSU, and the potential Supers matchup with the Seattle regional is even tougher because if it's Washington, then you have to go to Seattle. That trip is not fun for teams from the South. I can promise you – I have seen Alabama do it, and it didn't go well. It's a tough place to get out to. If it's not Washington, then that means it's Minnesota and a red-hot autumn piece. And if she is pitching as well as she has been for the last month in regionals and in potentially supers, then all of a sudden Minnesota is certainly a candidate to go back to Oklahoma City. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, Gray. I don't have any uh... – you know, I'm not going to debate you on any of that, but in terms of, of Omaha, I got to watch them this season. That's what I was just looking for. Uh, they were out at Mississippi state uh, and, and played OU. It was a, a small tournament uh, at Mississippi state and another team that in that region could be tough, uh, could be tough for LSU, Louisiana. Uh, I just, gosh, I think we're looking at a balance bracket in terms of the regions, uh, but in terms of the implications and supers, I think that's where we're most surprised. Well, and I'm not going to lie. We haven't really talked about it. One of the more interesting things is the Omaha to LSU, but McNeese to Seattle thing. You know, busing has been a debate for a very long time. I don't really know how that math worked out 
Uh, but fascinating because McNeese has already beaten Washington this year. So somehow it's a rematch potentially between the one and the three seed in Seattle. Should McNeese be able to get by Minnesota? Yeah, Brandon is right. That's right. The, the OU Omaha game was canceled that day, but they were at that tournament uh, and played Mississippi State. But you are right, uh, Braden, that that game we, we were much waited to uh, match up was canceled. But yeah, Washington, uh, Minnesota, I do think Autumn Pease has the ability to get out of Seattle. Uh, again, I, I think the Gophers could get out of Seattle uh, and make for an interesting 7-10 and 10 matchup uh, of those seeds. I was asked this morning if I thought all seeds were going to be uh, seeded teams would make supers. And I said, absolutely not. I don't think absolutely so. Absolutely not. And I think that this could be the Oregon state Stanford of it all that we saw last year, I guess Arizona, Mississippi state would classify as well. I could see two unseeded teams playing each other in supers in this little quadrant, um, which I guess it would be fun. Uh, and we'll see. I'm, I'm not sure I will pick it, but I could certainly see it playing out. The last little section to talk about is Utah and UCLA. Uh, I'm really bummed <laughs> that this is a Supers matchup. Uh, congrats to Utah for avoiding potentially playing OU in Supers, but dadgummit, we just saw this. And, and in particular in Salt Lake, you've got a Southern Illinois team that has been tricky. Every year they've been in the NCAA tournament. A couple years ago they gave Arizona State all they wanted in the Tempe Regional. You've got an Ole Miss team that is scrappy and really tough to play, and if they can find a way to play clean, they can beat almost anybody. And Baylor, who I think should have been a seed. So this is not easy for the Utes whatsoever. No, it's not an easy matchup. And you're right, Gray. Uh, we both watched Ole Miss uh, in the Alabama series. Scrappy team. And then should have, you know, argue they should have beat Auburn. Uh, there was a oh, yeah. throw. Uh, and Ole Miss, uh, I do. I think they're a scrappy squad. And that's going to be another tough regional. And we haven't even talked about UCLA. Can't even, we, we haven't even gotten to the Bruins uh, at all. We're an hour 30 into the show. And uh, we haven't even spoken about Bruins. That's their definition of not being a homer, even though I'm wearing a blue <laughs> shirt. Um, yeah, UCLA, it's an interesting regional and Liberty was out there earlier in the season. Who was on the call yeah. for that game, Tara? Oh, I don't know. Who was it? Who was it? <laughs> it was you, you and Jennifer Schroeder, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that is a region with San Diego state and Liberty. So head coaches of those two squads. Uh, Dot Richardson was former shortstop at UCLA. Uh, and then San Diego State's head coach is Stacey Newman, uh, All-American home run uh, leader and just all around incredible human Olympian. So that's a fun little region. Uh, and I'd be – Allie Light's been throwing some pretty solid innings for the Aztecs. So not an easy regional for UCLA and Liberty. Uh, I saw them early in the season. Again, a gritty team that has been tested, battle-tested. So not – not easy, an easy route for the Bruins uh, as well. And then to be matched up with Utah, I just, I don't know. I kind of thought that was wrong, Gray, but maybe it's just me. No, I'm with uh, you. And I'm going to be a little bit homerish as well for my FGCL girls, Carly Keeney from Liberty. And you just mentioned Allie Light from San Diego State. They have been really, really pitching well. And I think in particular, when you look at Keeney, some of the performances that she has put together against the best teams that they've played. You know, I'm looking at Alabama, the win there. I'm looking at holding Oklahoma to zero runs in regulation. Uh, by my count, nobody else has done that this year. So I think that you could see 
Liberty and Alley Light at San Diego State posed some problems. And also worth noting, again, you called the game. Liberty did not throw Carly Keeney in the game that UCLA won. That was a Paige Bachman special for the Flames. Mm -hmm. So they've got that little edge as well, Liberty does, and the fact that the Bruins have not seen their ace. So, again, we're looking at this number two, number 15, both regions that aren't a cakewalk, uh, and then a super that could be really tough as well. So I know we're bagging on the uh, selection committee because of various things across uh, the bracket, but you'd argue that we're going to have some pretty great matchups uh, not only this weekend, but next weekend. All right. Before uh, we get to our final guest, which is Monica Abbott, do you, do you want to make some bold predictions? Is that too risky? I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, yeah, we can make some bold predictions. Let me just see where Mon is because she's supposed to be on by now. All right. Go ahead. Well, in that regard, uh, I will not ask you who your national champion is. I will not ask you to make a World Series prediction as of yet because, I mean, you can if you want, but I'm not ready with mine. Um, I've made my bracket, but I'm not necessarily finalized yet. You know me, Tara. I love to tinker a little bit with some of my matchups. But but I will ask you the 9 through 16 team that you mm-hmm. think is going to go to Oklahoma City. Who, uh, unless, you know, unless an unseeded team wins in their paired regional, who is the nine through 16 squad that you think seems poised to make a run to the world series Northwestern. Really? Okay. Anything else you want to add to that? <laughs> Is that all you're gonna I say? thought we were just doing like, Oh, I thought we were doing like bold, like bunch of uh, questions all at once. Uh, no, I think it's Northwestern. Uh, and you know what, Gray, to be honest, it's, it's looking at the health of Montana Fouts. Uh, and I think uh, in terms of getting out of that regional, they just got it. They've got to get past, uh, Kentucky uh, and to face uh, a, a squad like Alabama or, you know, could be central Arkansas. It just depends. And I, and I think uh, that Northwestern uh, is going to get out of there. Yeah, you're right. It's not bold. Sorry. I wasn't paying attention because I was trying to text Monica Abbott. Boldest. Well, it's not really a bold. It's not really a bold. I'm just asking a question. I was. Oh, okay. I thought yeah, he's like, that's not have bold. to be I'm bold. Sorry. You just asked a question. I don't, I don't, you want a bold prediction? We'll get that to that next. Yeah, we can get Abbott. to that. I'm going Maybe to say I think it could be Texas. Uh, and I still think that Texas mm-hmm. is appropriately seated. Um, but we've seen that Texas fight be a thing, certainly in, in the big games. And also their reaction in the selection show. They were not pleased mm-hmm. with where they were seated. Yeah. And last year, when Texas was not pleased with where they were seated, they went on a run to the champ series. So I could see a world where Texas is the team that is able to be in that 9 through 16 bubble and make it back to the World Series again. You know, I'd like to agree with you, Gray, but I just think that's going to be a tough go for them. Um, I actually, I think Tennessee and Texas, I could have, probably seen both of them make it to the women's college world series but we're only obviously going to see one out of there i just think if tennessee's pitching staff uh is healthy and, and pickens can can get back on track i just think they're really tough and then you got a kiki malloy i mean that just and azeda puni I, I just think those are, are are just kind of impossible to just kind of overcome but uh we could talk about those two uh and tennessee here oh uh, we're ju- yeah i know natural segue Hmm. Hmm. By the way, I'm loving the mixed reactions from Oklahoma fans who are like, yes, Texas, 
knock out Tennessee, but also, no, we don't want Texas to win. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Very confusing. Uh, we can talk about the Tennessee Lady Vols with somebody who is making her return to the D1 Softball Podcast. We've done this whole year, Tara, and the only people who have been on multiple times are you and me. And now, the legendary Monica Abbott. <laughs> Monica, where did you play? Where did you play college ball? I've forgotten. Uh, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the show. How are you? Yeah, you guys. Thanks for having me on. So such a pleasure to be on the show with you guys, as always. Um, and of course, talking softball. So you know, I love that. Monica, what were your reactions? Uh, you know, there's been some some talk about this team reminding people of that 2007 squad, uh, which I think you and I are both really familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you see in this team that reminds you of that 2007 squad? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> I think it's hard not to look at um, – Ashley Rogers and think, you know, power throwing pitcher, great rise ball, right? I mean, sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> sounds familiar, anybody? But I think, you know, what I love about this team, obviously, I think, I honestly think that they're a lot more well-rounded than the 2007 Tennessee softball team that I played on. We had a really great team when I played, but I think just overall, I think just they're game smarts, right? I think they yeah. have they have people that can support their big hitters. They have people in front of them and behind them that can support them. So when you have a Kiki Malloy and who's batting in front of her and who's batting behind her, those hitters are really stepping up, which is allowing her to be that much better, but also allowing those hitters to shine through too, right? So you're seeing that from a Zeta Puni or um, – and what I've loved as of lately is the bottom of their lineup is really showing mm -hmm. up strong with Riley West. Katie Taylor had a big hit in the SEC, SEC tournament as well. And then also, um, I can't say her last name very well, but Kustanopoulos, I think, <laughs> the, our, the catcher. So I think getting a better lineup with the balance is really huge for um, Tennessee softball right now. And then, of course, they're pitching, um, you know, they're they're doing – they're led by Ashley Rogers, our power throwing um, righty rise ball ace. So um, and she's got good sports support staffed with uh, Peyton and Carlin. So it's fun to watch them this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with, like you talked about the bottom of the order, we didn't even mention Jamison Brockenbro, who was three for three in the SEC mm -hmm. championship yeah. game. Uh, and then you've got Peyton Gottschall, you've got Carlin Pickens. Tennessee seems like the kind of team that, it could go any which way in this postseason. I think Tennessee is one of the very few teams that could beat Oklahoma twice. I also think that they're one of the teams that could lose to basically anybody. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that that makes it uh, fun, if not manic a bit, for, I'm sure, for the fans of the Lady Balls. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We we love to ride our emotions. highs <laughs> and lows. But, you know, I think what's fun about this team is that, you know, Tennessee hasn't been back to the Women's College World Series in quite some time. Um, you know, the Renfro sisters and Madison Shipman era did like incredible there as well, but it's really been a while. And these, you know, Ashley Rogers hasn't been there yet and neither has Kiki and it's time for them to be hungry. Right. And more than hungry, determined, I think. And I think there's a difference. There's a difference in being hungry and saying and playing that you want to go to the women's college world series. 
all 64 teams want to go, you know, <laughs> but what is the determination factor and how strong is that determination in those big moments? I think that's going to be um, a big separating factor for a lot of teams this weekend and in the following weeks to come. And Mon, before we get into a couple questions about the bracket, I, mm -hmm. I want to ask, in terms of Coach Weekly, Karen Weekly, uh, mm -hmm. obviously there's been a bit of a change in her over the years. What is what is the biggest difference that you've noticed in her coaching style from uh, when you played there to, to now? You know, one thing that I think is, man, Coach, Coach Karen Weekly, I think she – when I was there, she always preached like grow growth, like the growth mindset, changing, 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 growing and evolving. But I think the evolvement that she's had over the last three, four years where they've really struggled with, you know, Rogers went down last year when they struggled with the pitching staff, you know, when Ralph retired, all of those transitions and new coaches bringing in Megan Rhodes as a new pitching coach, all of those things, it's really forced her to grow and change and evolve, but I really do think she's done a great job of putting together an amazing staff and also allowing them to shine, right? I think sometimes um, when you're the leader, you want to be able, you want to control things and you want to do it all. But I think the most important thing sometimes is to allow your, your, other people to really step up in that moment to really shine. And she's done that really well. And that's allowed her to have fun. And you see that you see her, you see her a little bit looser and being able to think a lot clearer on the, on the field. So I love what she's doing really so, so incredibly proud of her um, SEC coach of the year, like huge, right? Like that's an incredible accomplishment and can't wait to see what she does um, during the postseason. All right, Tennessee hosting a regional. They've got Indiana, Louisville, mm -hmm. Northern Kentucky coming. We can talk oh. about that, Monica. We can talk about anything in this bracket because just like everybody who cares or watches or studies softball, I'm sure you have some bracket takes. Mm -hmm. What were the biggest things that stuck out to you once this was revealed last night? Man, <laughs> storylines, right? Like there's storylines <laughs> everywhere. Um First off, I think the Tennessee regional, I would say like, wow, talk about putting all the home leading NCAA division one home run leaders in one regional, right? Like you got Kiki, you got Taylor Kern, and then the other girl from, um, I always forget her name, the others. Uh, Taylor Roby? Yeah, Roby. I mean, they're all you. killing it like nationwide. Like they're in the top, the top, top of home run hitting. So wow, putting them all in one regional that's impressive. <laughs> That's impressive. So really looking forward to seeing how that all goes down. And also like the competition, right, of the head to head, because yeah, it's a team sport. But I mean, you got to know that each of those athletes know who their competition is in those in those um, categories. So looking forward to that storyline playing out. And uh, on who is who is your sleeper pick that you think is going to potentially make it to the Women's College World Series? Um, Florida. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like that if it plays out right, I feel like Florida could, it's really going to depend on how well Florida pitchers hit their spots. 
we know they're not dominant enough to hold teams to one run or three runs, but we do know that they're that Florida plays great defense and those girls can hit, right? So I'm really looking forward to this week in the regional, uh, watching that regional um, stamp, a potential Stanford versus Florida matchup in the regional uh, finals. Um, it'll be interesting to have Stanford's aces, you know, who, I mean, they're really representing, but Stan Stanford's offense hasn't really showed up too strongly. So to see how that plays out, we'll see. I mean, it could go either way still, but I could, I do see Florida, you know, making a good push for supers. Wow. You know, I was texting uh, our friend. I love Ryan that Urquhart. take. Yeah. I, I was <laughs> texting Ryan Urquhart. I mean, I love it. I love it. Florida's a team that they have a dynamic offense because they have some speed, right? But they have Skylar Wallace, who's been doing outstanding. But let's say you take Skylar Wallace out. I mean, then you still have Charlotte Eccles right behind her. Like, so they have a pretty balanced lineup. It's going to come down to the Florida pitching staff being able to keep the ball low and give up. I mean, you can give up a run for their offense, but you can't give up five. You got to keep it three, one, two, you know, and then put the put the bat in their hands and see what they can do. I think the Florida thing is interesting because uh, the path is there. You know, they've got the experience for sure. Stanford, yes, they made it to Supers last year, but hosting a regional, it's been mm -hmm. a very long time since yeah. they've done that. And then Duke, as we talked about Marissa Young earlier, literally has never been in this position as a top eight seed. So yeah, I'll tell you what, postseason Timmy, it's a thing. And we yeah. could see it with this draw for Florida. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I think another good potential, a potential, I mean, is I, I'm curious to see how Utah does out, out in their regionals. Mm -hmm. um, I was a little surprised by their pick just because, you know, they took UCLA stayed with the number two pick when they lost in the PAC 12 championship, you know, and it wasn't a one zero game. That was, seven three you know so um you know i'm interested to see but i also know that utah's regional is going to be pretty tough that baylor team has been um you know a little hot and cold but they're a good team and they've got a lot of top 10 wins from out of baylor so i'm interested to see what happens um what happens in that regional and if they end up in a um you know a rematch of that pac-12 championship and Monica, are you going to be in Knoxville this weekend for the regional? What are your plans? Uh, are you going to be watching on TV? Or are you going to be there? I'll be on the TV watching uh, this weekend. I will not be in Knoxville, um, potentially in super for supers. But, you know, in postseason, you can't look too far ahead, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> one game at a time. Otherwise, you'll real it'll really bite you in the butt, especially now. Softball, I think we saw the selection committee show that the parity that softball has, right? And um, we saw teams, anyone can be anyone these days. And it's not just, you're not just saying that anymore. There's a lot of good hitters around each level, um, whether it's a big power five conference or a mid-major, there's a lot of people doing some really great things. So looking forward to just some, an exciting weekend of softball. Yeah. 
Yeah, as am I. And I think, you know, once the postseason rolls around, it's just so special. And how awesome is it, Monica, that we're going to be able to watch all these games, too? I mean, I know a lot of them are on ESPN Plus. Learn the difference, everyone, between SEC Network Plus and ESPN Plus, because you need to make sure you have that <laughs> subscription. But it's so great that we're going to be able to pull up the laptop, pull up the smart TV, and just flip, flip, flip between all of these games this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be, it's going to be fun, fun to watch. And, you know, at, I'll be having all my screens out, you know, two TVs, <laughs> get the iPad, get the phone, what's happening, check on Twitter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what will people be reacting to this weekend? I'm sure that there will be something that makes everybody tweet. Yeah, definitely. I thought, you know what, the other, um, interesting one i thought was that texas what did you guys think about uh texas a&m texas uh regional there i mean oh yeah i think it's gonna be tough as well yeah well it'll be hard uh i wish you know we talked about the creativity i wish that we could find ways to not have texas and texas a&m have to play every here in regionals it feels like but look it's it's fun for a reason so i'm annoyed but excited that they will be playing most likely unless texas state gets crazy which we've seen before Mm, definitely yeah all right well mon thanks so much for joining us it's always great to have you on here um we could talk about everything. I mean, we didn't even get into international stuff, but um, oh, there's yeah. so much stuff I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to get you back on here again. We, we, we don't remind, we don't mind having you as a repeat or three peat host or, or yeah, co-host on here. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Thanks for having me on. And just want to say just congrats to all the teams out there that are playing this weekend um, and regionals enjoy it. And um play with some fierce determination. You know, I think that really matters. Um, Leave it all on the field. So looking forward to watching and supporting everyone and um, exciting days are coming up, coming up. Exciting days. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Monica. Always good to see you. Always good to see you guys. Thanks. Thanks. The legend, Monica Abbott, our capper, the final guest. Uh, love that hot take with Florida. So the picture that was circulating of me during the selection show in the room with Alabama, I basically just made the same face as soon as she said Florida. <laughs> I know. Just, I think we're gonna have to clip that. Yeah. No, that was that great. Was just just because yeah. you know I talked about it, like the path is there, but I had not seen yeah. anybody make it, make the pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to close the show by making our World Series picks, Tara? Yeah. Sure. Are we doing our eight? Might as well. I don't know. Chat, do you want us to do our eight? Let's see. Still got a lot of people watching. We can, this... I mean, we can, we can answer a few of these questions. I mean, I actually think they're having their own discussion, which is fantastic. Um, oh, I haven't even the looked chat at these. Here. Um, oh, they're having, they're having their own discussion. I love oh, that. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of people. Yes, they want this. Okay. Oh, you for me. UCLA. Bold, Tara. Bold. <laughs> I'm just what? kidding. Keep going. Keep going. I was kidding. Go ahead. Um, Florida State, Tennessee. I'm going to go with those top four because they've just been consistent over time. And I know everyone's going to say, oh, those aren't bold. But consistency over time, I'm going to stick with those. And then after that, I think Northwestern. Uh, I'm going to go with. Wichita State, 
because that is my sleeper. Uh, oh, I could do another sleeper. Why not? Minnesota. Oh, Tara. Yeah. Um, and Duke. All right. I've got eight for you. Tara's picks. Oklahoma, Duke, Northwestern, Tennessee, Florida State, Wichita State, Minissota, and UCLA. Love. Look at that Big Ten love. Well, just, somebody maybe has just to do like, it. You know, somebody does. And if you, if you think, you know, it could happen, I think it could potentially happen. Um, and nobody wants to be boring. And, you know, it could happen. Those are my bold picks. Because people yeah. were saying I'm not bold enough. So those are the bold picks. Tara, I've go. always thought that you were bold. Are you kidding? It was really bold of you to show up in Oxford, Mississippi a couple weeks ago. Yeah. On a weekend go. when Bedlam was happening, you came to hang out with me. I think that that is incredibly bold. Of course, there were lots of a yeah. thousand other reasons why you were there. I was just like part F in the alphabet. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. Mine. I'm going to go Oklahoma. Ooh. Jumping out on that limb. Uh, I'm going to go with Stanford. I don't like Ooh, okay. it. Um, oh, I can't believe you're going with Stanford, but go on then. Yeah. I thought I, you were going to maybe put in Florida after Monica coming on here. I, I still I still can't get on board with the Florida pitching. Pitching stuff. Um, but you can't you can't count out Tim Walton. Absolutely in not. Postseason. Absolutely not. We said this last year, and everyone was like, oh, Florida, they're pitching, and they can't do this. And then all of a sudden, they show up in the Women's College World Series. Oh. It's just an incredible coaching staff. Do they give up a ton of runs? Yes. Um, is it possible? Yes, as well. So I, you just can't count them out. I'm just not ready to take them. Um, and I think Duke Duke is going to make the World Series for the first time. Me, me neither. I mean, did you see my face when I just said Stanford? I, I don't. I You're don't right. feel good about this little this little section. Not none of them. I can make arguments against and for everybody. Um, I, I've got Stanford in. I do have Alabama in. Uh, I've got Tennessee. Um, setting up the 90th Alabama-Tennessee game this year in the World Series. Uh, I've got I've got Florida State because way back in the preseason, mm -hmm. we said the every other year thing. Uh, I'm sticking yep. with my guns. This is the go-to-OKC year for Florida State, although I, I saw a question earlier about Georgia. Uh, I would be stunned if Florida State-Georgia in Supers did not go three games. I think that that would be extremely, mm -hmm. extremely tight. Uh, I've got Wichita State as well going to the World mm -hmm. Series. Uh, I think that the draw for the Shockers could not have been better. Um, I'm thankful, as I'm sure everybody is, that they didn't have to go to Norman. I think Stillwater is a great place for them to open with. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure if Arkansas is ready to get to OKC yet. Uh, if they couldn't do it last year, it's hard for me to see them doing it this year. And then I've got LSU again, um, I think. I don't know. I don't like anything yep. there. Uh, I might tinker with that before my bracket is posted on the D1 site. And I've got, I feel like that's more bold than my Minnesota pick. <laughs> I, kind of. I, I don't I don't like picking LSU. I also don't like Louisiana World Series. I don't think Washington um, is that is a team that I feel comfortable with saying, Oh, obvious world series lock, even though it's hard to win in Seattle, I, I guess I'm going LSU. I don't know. Uh, and then I've got UCLA obviously. Uh, and in fact, I'm just going to say it now. UCLA is my national champion. Really? 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes, uh, I'm going with some storyline magic as well as the much improved play of Brooke Yanez. Megan the Machine is going to figure it out by the time that they get to OKC. And I think that you can make the argument that um, UCLA losing as bad as they did to Oklahoma in the Mary Nutter is their villain origin story. And since then, they've been trying to build and become the team that can win a national championship since then. Uh, it's very, very hard to win a title three times. I've seen Gary. Alabama football try many, many years and not be able to do that. Uh, I have seen many teams across sports not be able to do that. I think I'm taking UCLA. You, you want to do an eight clap? Have you, do you know how to do one? I, do, I, mean... I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't have any white shorts either. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Wow. Am I invited? Wow. Am I invited in the bubble? Is this what happens? Yeah. You can go to the bubble. I, I can't really go down to the bubble anymore because I got to do my job. But um, yeah, you could you could go down to the Bruin bubble. They the Bruin bubble is quite accepting uh, for those of you that don't know. But well, uh, hey, not- hey, our dear friend Shelly Carlin helped me with so many work things last year at the World Series, and Jen was great as well. I, you know, the Bruin the Bruin bubble. I had a great time with them last year, um, um, and yeah, I'm just because honestly, at this point, uh, I. I think that softball is as insane as it's ever been outside of Oklahoma. And why not? Right. Why not get a little crazy? What we've been on the air for nearly two hours live. (laughs) I have not, I have not been this on the air continuous without a break in many, many years. Still drinking the liquid death mountain water. Why not get a little crazy? Cheers to that. Wow. I can't believe we've been on here for two hours. Uh, thank you guys for being on here. Uh, appreciate it. And I, I, we've been monitoring the chat and hopefully you guys have just as much fun over there on the chat as we do uh, here talking softball. Because, this will uh, shock you, Tara. I'm getting roasted right now in the comments. For oh, you are. Anything against OU is going to get you roasted, Gray. I don't know if you saw last week who had trying to explain what wins uh, above average. That was just a fun one uh, with the OU <laughs> fan base, you know. How dare we put out advanced stats and take a look at and evaluate players and their impact? Uh, hey, how dare and, we? And for the people want to know, it is natural artesian water, liquid oh, yes, water. death. Yeah, it's water. I've got my other water here too, aqua. We like to get creative here in the state of Alabama with our water choices. It's not all pure life. <laughs> we have it all right here. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I have a whole, you know, pack of liquid death uh, in my fridge. I, I'm, I'm on the liquid death uh, train. Uh, Gray. Maybe we should get them to help sponsor a segment because it's my favorite. I mean the, the liquid region of death. Is that what we could call it? <laughs> Looking at Tallahassee? Yeah. Is, are, oh yeah. Hey, we look at Haley. Haley, don't feel bad for me. It's fine. Like I, I'm, I, I, it was a lot. But at the end of the day, when we're trying to ad- push advanced statistics and and give more access to people and also obviously push change out there, um, it, it's gonna get some feedback. But yeah, I just wish people were a little bit nicer. They can attack the model. They can attack the statistics. But attacking me personally, that was just wasn't very nice. But thank you for that, Haley. Appreciate it. We got your back, Tara. You got your back. You're amazing. You do phenomenal work, uh, as you have done throughout this entire show. And just first off, a couple a couple thank yous that we have to give before we probably give some final thoughts. 
Um, Kelly Higby has been sitting there behind the scenes this entire time, putting together graphics. She's been waiting around for us to wrap this up for the last two hours. Kelly Higby, phenomenal, phenomenal job all season long, but especially today, which was, I'm sure, a lot to have to deal with. So, so Tara, uh, I, I know that you're right there with me and thanking Kelly for all of her hard work, not just this whole year, but today for sure. Yeah. Kelly behind the scenes, what a, a two hour show getting all these guests, managing all these guests. I thought it was quite fun though. I think it was a good mix uh, of what we're seeing across the country and arguably, gosh, great to have Kevin Brown on here. Uh, just super fun to, to have him on here and hopefully we can maybe get him back. Cause I think his insight's pretty incredible too. I agree. Uh, thank you to Tiari Jennings, Amy Hogue, Marissa Young, Jordan Rudd, Monica Abbott, and like you said, our guy Kevin Brown. Uh, I have some movies that I need to see that Kevin has seen and I have not, and uh, we need to chat about that. Let me tell you, folks, you want to see two people nerd about movies? Watch me and Kevin go to dinner, and we'll be sitting there like, did you see Tar? I've seen Tar. What did you think of The Lost Daughter? And it's like a Amanda and Michelle were sitting there like, what are you people talking about? <laughs> Oh, so I love it. Well, that was fun. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. I, I, I know it was going to be long, but um, I think we kept it at two hours and, and pretty good information out there. And we'll continue uh, to break this all down, but just appreciate you all. And thanks for joining us. This has been really fun. And I, I'm loving this 9am Pacific time. I can have my coffee uh, and get to hang out and chat with you all. Me too. And hey, Shelly Carlin says, Gray, you're in the bubble. I did it. I've done it. I'm in. What a time to be alive. <laughs> a any final thoughts that you want to give Tara about the bracket, about the NCAA tournament? Anything else you want to touch on before we retire the show? You know, this is the best time of year. And to be an athlete, to be one of those teams that's named was called to, to be a part of this field of 64, it's just truly special. And just hope these athletes and these coaches and the staff uh, just enjoy every moment because this is a special time, not only uh, in sport, but in, in all of our lives. And I think softball has given me the greatest gift and, and been just an um, important part of, of my life. And I uh, can't think of a better time to, to be a part of it and see the growth and, and see everybody putting in the hard work and to, for us to have a two hour show and people be engaged and watching it just to simply talk about softball. If you would have told me that 20 years ago, I kind of would have told you you're crazy. So can't thank you all enough for being on here uh, and week in and week out and, and keeping us on our toes, uh, supporting us, uh, debating with us, uh, and all in all, having a great time. This is the best time of the year. Relish it. As soon as things start on Friday, I believe the first game is at 11 a.m. Central Time. Turn on your TV enjoy make sure that the ratings are huge the sport deserves it this season in particular has deserved it uh, i feel like we have seen more great games more phenomenal finishes more excitement more storylines than we ever have before in the sport of softball so make sure that your tvs are on that you are you are enjoying and soaking in every single minute of regionals i know that the athletes are doing that we are seeing the work be put in across the country to get into this field and then the work just increases once you get ready for regional play. Um, I'll tell you what, Tara, what fascinates me about this bracket is I think that the, the potential for chaos is as high as it's ever been. <laughs> and also, and also 
I think that this could be a year where it's kind of all comes out in the wash and we could see a lot of seeded teams move on to supers. The the thing that I said coming into the season was there are going to be a lot of if games in regionals this year. I still think that's going to be the case, but the greatness of some of these teams, the greatness of some of these players will be, I think, what determines who goes to super regionals and who goes to the World Series. And I'll tell you what, I can't wait to see those stories told on this podcast on all of the TV broadcasts that will be presented throughout the weekend from ESPN. And of course, on the wonderful website that is d1softball.com. Tara, what kind of content do we have coming up this week before regional play starts? Oh man, we just uh, divvied up all the regionals between the staff. So Brady Vernon, Rhiannon Podkey, Graham Hayes, and myself will be divvying up and having uh, live recaps of all the regions for you. So we'll have a tournament central so you can head on over there and check out what's going on throughout the country. Obviously, we have our scoreboard, uh, so you can check game times there. Uh, We've got questions that need to be answered. Graham Hayes, I don't know if you all have taken a look at that article, but an incredible article by Graham Hayes on on, uh, the bracket. Uh, And again, we'll have regional coverage. Every single regional, we'll have you guys covered uh, and with our insights. And hopefully we can jump on here, Gray, and do some interactive stuff as well. And and if we have some time, get on here, do some video interviews, and hopefully take uh, some of your questions, field some of your questions throughout the weekend. Absolutely. And we will be back next week as well for the podcast. I think same time, right? Same bad time, same bad channel, Tara. I love it. I'm loving this 9 a.m. Pacific time. I hope you guys are, are loving the 12 uh, Eastern time too. And uh, I think it's a good, sh- a good time because we've got lots of people on here. Don't forget about all of us in the central, central. time. We're I partying. You, I was letting you take it. <laughs> That's me central and to the people in the mountain ranges. Thanks for doing your time too. <laughs> and remember you can access all the great content at D one softball.com with a 20% off annual subscription using the code podcast 20. We've got the gram back. Make sure that you follow that on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, Gray. I, I'm sorry. Can just want to say Kelsey Stewart took over our Instagram last night during the uh, live show, and I just want to give her a big uh, uh, two uh, two high fives. Did you say it? Uh, to Kelsey Stewart and Alex Taraco. She was live on TikTok. So hopefully you guys uh, love that. We're trying to expand our coverage and just give you as much uh, behind-the-scenes footage uh, to not only former players but current players as well. Sorry, Gray. Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good because again, we also have the bracket challenge coming up and they're just uh, like, there's so much happening. So make sure that you follow all of the content and whatnot and stay up to date on everything that is happening in college softball. Once again, thank you to all of our phenomenal guests. Thank you, Kelly Higby. Bow down to the producing queen. A phenomenal job today, making sure that everything goes smoothly. Tara, happy NCAA tournament. I cheers my liquid death to you. It's here. Cheers, my Americano. Let's do it. For the great Tara Henry, I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you to everybody for tuning in to our selection show recap episode. We'll see you next time on the D1 Softball Podcast.